Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where each Friday morning for no more than 30 minutes, we have really fun, interesting conversations with the people who are doing really fun and interesting things. Uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Indeed, we don't have a sponsor right now. That's because we're kind of doing this as volunteers. And so if you don't mind going onto the website and consider making a contribution, I'm, I'm just doing a full-fledged, uh, unabashed request. Peter Backwin does an insane job. He gets six to seven emails every day on new FKTs. He keeps track of all of them. Jeff Schuler keeps track of the entire website, that cool little map you can get on the front. You can search for routes. You can search for people. You can search for FKTs. And I, of course, am just the pretty face. I don't really do anything else. But still consider going on and doing a Patreon donation. Thank you. And thank you in particular for our guest this week, who is Nate Bender, who I'm talking to. He is in Missoula, Montana. Welcome, Nate. Hey, Buzz. It's great to be here. Yeah. And I'm going to just do a quick heads up on Nate. You're not a famous ultra runner and you're not a famous through hiker. You've, you've definitely done some, uh, fair amount of ultra running. You're Ray, uh, hundred miler. You've done a fair amount of, of hundreds. I can see run the rut up in big sky. Uh, but what you did this summer, I should say last summer really stood out. You did what we're calling the Montana Twelvers, which is, all 27 summits in Montana, over 12,000 feet high. And for that effort, you got the FKT of the year, number five for all of North America. So that, that, was, that was major, Nate. Congratulations again. Hey, thank you. Colorado 14ers, yeah, they're, they're on the books. They're, they're, they're everywhere. California 14ers, yeah, they're, they're solid. And then along with Luke Nelson, Jared Campbell did the Utah Twelvers and the Idaho Twelvers. But you're the first one to do the Montana Twelvers. And these are way harder. So I could, I'm going to let you tell us just what's the deal with the Montana Twelver? You know, I think what sets the Montana high points apart is their ruggedness and the off-trail aspect. Um, in all in all, my route was 100 miles, and 96 of those miles are off trail, leaving only four on trail. And I don't know exactly how the stats uh, stack up in Utah and and down in in Colorado, but I know that that's a pretty high number of of off trail miles. And then there are some sections of of higher technicality, some high class four or maybe low class five, depending on on the exact route that you take. So, yeah, just that aspect of having to be comfortable um, traveling across that kind of broken, rocky ridge lines and, and things like that for a large proportion of the route really makes it a different kind of uh, adventure. Very. Indeed, uh, the uh, high point in Colorado, Mount Elbert, Kind of like a conga line in the summer. <laughs> Mount Whitney in California, you have to have a permit, not even to camp. You have to have a day use permit, which is different. But Granite Peak in Montana, eh, you could go there for a week. You won't see another person on the summit. 
Well, yes and no. I mean, I would say granite, because it is the state high point, it's kind of the, the gem of the range and a lot of people seek that out. And so granite does get a bit more traffic as, as well as a, a couple other peaks in, in the Beartooth range, just because they maybe have a little bit easier trail access. Maybe there's a trail that goes up to a nearby pass to one of the peaks. Um, none of the peaks have, have trails up to their summits. Oh, quick, um, quick, somehow, real quick note, Nate. You say yeah. of the 27, not one of them has a trail to the summit. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some of them have like closer trails that get a little bit closer. And so they're maybe easier to do that, that final bit of, of off trail work to get to the top. But for the most part, these peaks just don't see a lot of people. I mean, there, and some of them don't even have summit registers. You know, they're just kind of, uh, maybe a, a cairn of rocks that's on the tallest point of, of these different plateaus or these different summits. And, you know, even some of them that do have summit registers, I remember one of them that I got to the top of, um, you know, it doesn't even have a name. It's just, uh, point 12540, <laughs> you know, named after its, its height, um, has a summit register on it. And there were, um, two entries from 2017. And when I came back there, um, in 2018, you know, I, I looked back and, and saw, well, it was one other person's entry and, and mine from the year before. Wow. You know, so not a lot of people get up there. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's so different here. We are in the con continuous, uh, 48, lower 48. And again, Colorado is not like that. California gets a little more technical, but there's only 13 there. There's 54 to 58 14ers in Colorado, but 27 in Montana. It is also, now you did this in one push and I the did. specs are four days, six hours, 44 minutes. And again, listeners definitely go on fastestknowntime.com and look up Nate, look up Nate Bender, uh, under athlete search or the FKT, the route. Montana 12ers. And that's one of the fun things you can do on the website. You can just dive into this, get a little more information. And four days, six hours, but it is possible, or is it? Let me ask you, Nate, sorry. Yeah. Are you the first person to do all these in a lifetime? No, no. People have linked all of them together. Like there's a handful of people that have done all 27 over a period of years. Years. Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't know of any other continuous attempt. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. you're possibly the first person to do them in one season. And you did it in, not only in one season, but in one continuous push. So you really moved the needle on Montana. Well, I guess so. I guess it was just one of those things where, you know, maybe the uh, amazing mountain athletes in, in Colorado and California just hadn't quite got there yet, you know, uh, in, in Montana. Well, so maybe they I was, got there and I they looked at it and said, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, maybe that, maybe that too. I was, maybe I was just the first person, uh, audacious enough or dumb enough to, uh, to think it was possible. Um, probably some combination. Yeah. Well, and then there's a third <laughs> thing be, besides audaciousness and dumbness which is methodicalness. So you sure. wrote 
that you spent the summers of 2017 and 2018 scouting the route. You logged more than a 180 hours, 340 miles, and 126,000 feet of vert over eight different scouting trips before you went for it. Now that's solid yeah. FKT action. <laughs> well, I think what I enjoy, part of what I enjoy about these kinds of projects so much is that opportunity to, I kind of use it as an excuse to, to explore a new place or to really become familiar with a new place. And so part of the appeal of these kinds of things for me is the chance to come into a place like the Beartooth Range or the Absorker Beartooth Wilderness and kind of come into it as, you know, with wide eyes and as a student and call up people out of the blue and see if they would share their knowledge with me and, you know, look at maps and try and figure out different ways that you could turn this, you know, difficult, unknown um, idea into a reality and spend a lot of time on the ground as well, just testing different hypotheses like, well, maybe this ridge is the fastest way to it, or maybe it's not. Um, and there was a lot of that where I would, I would go into a scouting trip with a certain um, hypothesis or expectation about what would be the most efficient line and just be completely wrong um, or get shut down by class five terrain that I didn't want to, uh, didn't want to go into um, because I wanted to keep the adventure um, to be something that I could do with just non-technical gear. Um, I didn't want to have to carry ropes and a harness and, and all that kind of stuff if I could get away, get away with not. Um, so yeah, that, that whole process of really <clears throat> doing, like doing your homework and, and getting to know a place pretty intimately, um, is, is a huge part of it for me. Right. Well, hopefully yeah. other people can identify with that. The voters did for the FKT of the year. <clears throat> we had our normal, yeah. lovely mix, right? We had, uh, you know, of course, Nolan's 14 is popular. We had the Wonderland Trail. Rim mm -hmm. to Rim to Rim is always there. The John Muir Trail is almost always there. The Appalachian Trail was there. But people, even though they had never heard of you, really liked what you did because you demonstrated that, uh, what you just said, that FKT style of learning about the place. So the process was very important. If yeah. you're going for rim to rim to rim, man, it's, it's a cardiovascular test. You know, it'd be kind of hard to get lost. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a race course in an unofficial manner, but something like the Montana 12ers. No, I think you're, eight scouting trips <laughs> were time well spent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a time and place for both both styles of, of FKT attempts. I just happened, I think, just because of my background kind of coming at these things um, from a, I don't have a background in competitive running. I didn't run in college. I really picked up running uh, recreationally in, in college. Just I hadn't even run for fun when I was a kid. Running was always something that I was doing as part of sports, you know. Um, but, you know, so coming at these kinds of things just from a background and a childhood of, of rambling around in, in the woods and hiking more, I, I guess I come at it from more of a, 
you know, just wanting to spend big days out in the mountains, rambling around more so than um, coming at it from a um, point of view where, where I'm really attracted to just um, FKTs that are um, just focused on like your cardiovascular strength or your strength as a, as a runner. You know, I always, I always joke with my friends that I'm, I'm not the best runner. And so I try and pick races or pick projects that emphasize the ruggedness of the terrain or the, or the verticality of it. So I can have a fighting chance. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to go with your strength. Yeah, exactly. So I, I always ask things like what's next. Mm -hmm. But for you, it would be, this would be a hard one to go on a what's next, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you nonetheless. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think it, it's kind of unrealistic to to feel like I can, I'll, I'd be able to find a follow-up to this that would um, kind of grab me uh, as, as deeply as this did for, for all those reasons. Um, but what's next would be, I'm, I'm looking to do a traverse through Glacier National Park this summer. Hmm. And that's a bit more of a, another project that's kind of in my backyard um, here in Montana. And it's a place that I've been able to explore a little bit, but would like to learn a lot more about. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to do that. And I'm also trying to kind of in the preliminary stages of, of trying to, see if if that kind of an experience can be helpful for you know some of the issues affecting the park and um and some of the work that the park is doing or the glacier conservancy which is the nonprofit arm of the park um is doing around raising awareness about those issues and trying to see if if that kind of um an experience um can be helpful to their work well that's an interesting tie in because mm -hmm. indeed you're considering going back to school for a degree in resource conservation. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Now, glacier, glaciers issues. Um, one of them is called the grizzly bear. So how are you um, seeing that? I mean, when I've been to Glacier, I'm from Colorado, of course, and mm -hmm. we have our squirrels and our deer and so mm -hmm. forth. Sorry, I don't mean to be demeaning my home state, but I mean, it's a great state. <laughs> the West is terrific. I mean, we, we have a good time out here. And actually, I've seen, I've had close encounters with bears here. But uh -huh. you go up there, it's the grizz. And the grizz is a little different than our black bear. Uh -huh. A lot of wildlife in Glacier National Park, the mount, the, uh, the sheep as well. So what's, what's your take on, the, on your traverse this summer vis-a-vis -vis the big mammals that you're going to see? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you uh, will be will be carrying bear spray throughout the entire adventure, just like we did uh, in the bear tooth here last summer. And I, I think for the most part, moving, I mean, there there's a bit more uh, of an increased, um, you know, chance of, of running with a bear uh, when you're running uh, through the park versus hiking. I think just because you're moving a little bit faster, but for the most part. Um, when we're off trail and we're just hiking, there's not really, you know, we, we're not really doing anything any different than any other hiker um, in the park. I think the increased chance of a run-in would also come from um, just the amount of time that we would be uh, out in Glacier. I think the traverse that I'm looking at would be another uh, 
four to five day kind of thing. So you're just spending a lot of time um, out there and that would obviously increase your chances. Um, so basically you're just covering more miles. And so that sure. just, the equation is increases your chances. And yeah. you noted, yeah. obviously you carry bear spray, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe less obviously, we never carry bear spray down here. So mm -hmm. that's that's an interesting thing to note that it's this is obvious to you but less obvious to other people yeah when i've been in uh, the winds uh i a assistant guided with andrew skirka a couple uh -huh. of times we all carried bear everyone had was required to carry bear spray do you also and this is may sound odd to other people but the time i was one of the times i was in glacier when i did a I actually can't remember the route I ran, but I carried a bell. So I was kind of sounding like Santa Claus. Is that something that people still do? I think some folks do. Um, I don't personally. I prefer just to use my voice um, instead or also have a whistle um, on like the shoulder strap of my pack so it's easily accessible. Um, I think it's a bit of personal preference. I just cannot stand that constant jingling <laughs> and, would, and would prefer to uh to just use my voice like constantly yelling out for bears when you're in higher risk areas so you you literally yell you just say oh yeah, yeah. here i come oh yeah you, and you you do it very loudly and it, it maybe feels weird if you're not uh practiced doing that but you, you become pretty accustomed uh, to doing that um when you travel around in bear country. Well, this is good beta. This yeah. is a good perspective. I like it. Because the other thing, the other aspect that listeners can read into this is that the bears aren't looking for you as a meal. What you're really worried about is that sudden chance encounter that surprises them and puts them on the defensive. So the whistle, the voice, the bell is to let them know that you're here because they want to avoid you. Absolutely. And I'm by no means a bear expert. So everyone should take what I'm saying with a grain of salt um, and find find expert uh, opinions to, to back all this up. But yeah, I think I think statistically, the most dangerous encounters are ones where you come up and you surprise a bear and the bear um, reacts defensively just in an instant. Um, so you're really trying to avoid those kinds of situations where you come around a corner or you're in thick bushes or things like that and, and surprise a bear. Yeah. Gotcha. Nice. Well, here's a question that this Montana conversation. So we discussed how the, yeah. the Montana 12ers are just so much more rugged than any of the other ones by a long shot. I mean, down here, of course, I've done the, not the Eastern high points. I don't know what's the high point. You know, people do high points, of course. Uh -huh. But here I've done all the ones in the West except granite. So, uh -huh. you know, Rainier, done that a few times. Whitney, a few times. And uh, Arizona and New Mexico, uh, Kings Peak in Utah. Gannett, I think I've done twice. But never done a granite. For a reason. I mean, it's a track. You got to get in there. So we've noticed that Montana's a little wilder in that regard. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about the wildlife and noted the difference between the black bear, which again, I'm no bear expert. This is just my humble thought. 
is a relatively benign species. You know, it usually stays apart. Well, the grizzly is a little more aggressive, and that's what you have up there. So there's another difference with Montana. So if someone wanted to visit your fair state, what do you, what would you suggest? Is it a backpack route? Is it a summit of granite? What, 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 what should people do if they go up there? Or maybe going up to Glacier National Park? Sure. I mean, it's really tough to go wrong with Glacier. Um, there is some amazing, um, amazing things to see in Glacier. Um, Yellowstone as well. Um, or if you're coming from the south, you know, maybe you want to spend some time in the Absorca Bertus there in that wilderness. Um, there's a pretty popular uh, hiking trail called the Beaten Path that um, travel. It bisects the range from east to west. Well, I, and, know, that. I know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is, I never heard of this. It's called, that's a clever name, the right. Beaten Path. And of course, it's a north-south range. It's pretty long. It's one of the most remote spots, I think, in the whole lower 48. But there's yeah. a, a route, kind of like the Sierra, um, um, the High Sierra Trail that goes east to west across the Sierras. This is a similar type trail. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny. I went down and, and ran it a few years ago, back before I even had the idea of doing all the Montana 12ers. And I, I went down there with pretty high expectations because I talked with people and read trip reports and it just blew, it just blew me out of the water. It is uh, a gorgeous trail. It's very um, representative of the range. And it has uh, in that you see a lot of different ecosystems and you see, uh, I mean, it's, it's a 26 mile trail one way. And I think you, you pass 13 or 14 lakes. So it's like a lake wow. every couple miles and, <laughs> and they all, and they're all different. They all have these unique characters. And that's one of the things that has stuck with me. Um, and it's gorgeous. And a lot of folks, um, spend a couple days hiking through it and, and camping along the way. So now, one of the big issues with the high Sierra trail is getting back to the start. You have to drive around the entire range. Is that sure. the same for the beaten path? Yeah. Yeah. It's a several hour car shuttle. Several hours. That's not too yeah, bad. I don't, I don't know exactly how long. I've never done that car shuttle. Um, I don't know, maybe four or five hours. Okay. Just shooting from the hip there. All right. Is I, I could look this up right now, but do we have an FKT on our website for the beaten path? I don't believe so. Okay. Wow. Maybe somebody should try that. Yeah. This is, uh, I shouldn't have said anything. I could go up there <laughs> yeah. and set a really low standard myself. For... <laughs> okay. Well, hot tip. You heard it here first. Uh, the beaten path. That's a, that's nice. That's a nice suggestion because that's a big range. That's a really wild, a lot of wilderness there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so the, the Solomon running team ran, ran along the beaten path. They put it like, they put a video out a couple of years ago. I remember seeing. Um, so if, if folks want to look up that video and they can see some, some shots of the beaten path in that. Okay. Oops, it is on our website. Look, I wasn't, uh, I sold ourselves a little short here. Oh, okay. 26.6. Wow. 
this is this is a marathon. Maybe you should organize a uh, unofficial marathon. <laughs> there we go. And the uh, the time is held by a mixed gender, four people of eight hours twenty two minutes. Okay, right. Oh, this is uh, this is also um, it's also been done as an out and back. At any rate, mm-hmm. here I'm I'm learning more by looking at our website. Uh, I just you just go to routes at the top nav bar and type in whatever route you're interested in. And there it is. Great information. There's a map. This is terrific stuff. But I had never heard of it. So thanks for the heads up on that. That's great. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, Nate. Well, I hope uh, hope you have your project in Glacier goes well. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Now you got a ton of snow up there also. We got a ton down here. And you're probably not going to be doing this until July, I imagine. Yeah, it would be a late July or even early August kind of project. Hmm. Hmm. Well, please put it. Send yeah. us the message. <laughs> Our friend Peter will dutifully put it up on the website for all to see. And please stay in touch. And congratulations again on giving us uh, great beta on the granite on the state of Montana and on the beaten path. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, you know that was also kind of something that that was a part of this whole. Um, Montana 12ers project for me it was, you know, a, a bit of state pride uh, as well as, as far as um, going out there and uh, kind of showing what some of what our state has to offer beyond um, some of the more well-known places like Glacier or Yellowstone. Um, right. There's some pretty world-class terrain out here. Yeah. And, and <laughs> as you noted, you did it, you said you did it before any, the top runners went up there but again maybe they did go up there and said no i don't got this and they came back home yeah yeah you know maybe or maybe the timing just didn't work out quite right you know (laughs) it's it's kind of funny i in that you know i kind of got started with the whole fkt thing with the idaho high points oh and that was back when i was raft guiding out in idaho and i was just didn't really know anything about the whole community around all this, but it was, it was something where I, I heard about the idea of, of doing all the auto high points from another guide and, and just started chipping away at it. And that was kind of where I first heard about Luke Nelson. And then he and Jared Campbell came along and set the FKT for, for the Idaho 12ers. And, and so I just feel like it, it's, it's funny. I feel like, um, kind of been in some of the same circles as, as those guys. So obviously at a, at a lower level. Um, but I know that they were looking at, at doing the Montana 12ers as well and, and just hadn't got around to it yet. So Jared actually indeed told me that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Right. Right. But it's, it's a bigger project. It's a much bigger project for that matter. It's, there's twice as many summits and they're twice as remote. Yeah. I mean, now that I've done it, I think a, a person, especially folks like Luke and Jared, who are incredibly accomplished and, and fit, could could go out and kind of on-site it. I, there's there's no doubt. You maybe wouldn't be as efficient as you could be otherwise. Um, but it would be possible. Well, we'll 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 see what happens this summer. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes peeled to see if anyone's got. Oh, this would be interesting, Nate. 
Yeah. Um, the yeah. Montana 12ers, it's been done once. It's an OKT, only known time at this point. Yeah. But we'll see uh, now that you've thrown down, you see if anyone else wants to go up to Montana and have a go. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I th- I'll, I'll wonder. I got incredibly lucky with the weather when I was out there getting getting like five days in a row of pretty stable weather. We only had one brush with lightning um, on day three. But it's even funny how, you know, up there at, at 10,000 feet going across some of these plateaus, you know, the lakes are just, were just breaking up with, you know, the ice was just breaking up. And, and then two weeks after my trip, they, a snowstorm rolled through Montana enough to where they closed down um, the highway that goes over the Beartooth Range, Beartooth Pass, you know, for a weekend. So it's, sometimes it can be a pretty short window for summer up in that country. Two weeks, I would call short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you, you just, uh, did you make that up, Nate? I think you're trying to talk other people into going up there and having a go. Uh, I think well, you're, up you say, yeah, you're just <laughs> no. kind of bluffing everyone out of this. You know, people are listening to this going, yeah, I think I'll go up there. I can do this in sub four days. And then they hear that you when you did it last year, there was still ice in the lakes, and then two weeks later, the pass was closed due to snow. I mean, maybe you just made that whole thing up to keep people away. Uh, well, you know, I think the kinds of people that would be interested in something like this would be the kinds of people that would actually be motivated by something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so even if I did make it up, it doesn't; it wouldn't work very well, I'd imagine. <laughs> That's a, probably a good point. That's excellent, Nate. Well, yeah. kidding aside, congratulations again. And I look forward to staying in touch and maybe speaking again. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for, for having me on here.